0: listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Paige Wilson. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry.
1: And you're
2: listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast brought to you by IBM. This is the show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Thanks to everyone for joining us for episode 208, First Friday Q&A.
0: First Friday Q&A, and you know what? Speaking of Q&A, where are our Apple desktops? I don't know. Nobody knows where Apple desktops are. Apple launched an investigation. They've just disappeared. But you know, in 2020, with all the weird stuff, I would not be surprised if aliens are actually stealing Apple hardware.
2: Or it's Sharknado. Or Sharknado. I'm not even sure anymore.
0: (laughs) Uh, but speaking of sure, we got another review. Excellent podcast by CM Williams from the UK. Recently stumbled across this podcast. Fantastic content. Ideal for helping to keep us up with current affairs within the industry. Thanks, Chris Petroleum Engineer Student, University of Aberdeen, UK. We were supposed to be in Aberdeen before this COVID-19 stuff happened, weren't we?
2: Was it Aberdeen? Yeah. Oh, uh, it's such a blur. I don't, we've missed so many things. I mean, I'm just glad we didn't get locked out of the United States. Well,
0: we would have been if we would have went to that conference and launched the Only Gas Sales and Marketing podcast when we came back we would have been quarantined for two weeks so we made the right call even though we lost a little bit of money but you know that's what 2020 is about and speaking <laughs> of what 2020 is about what? let's get in the questions page
2: all right so the first one's from jeff kramer which is a firefighter at crestwood fire department hey i'm interested in investing in oil and gas so i've been trying to hard to learn about the industry i keep reading articles that say we will reach quote unquote peak oil demand sooner because of the coronavirus I don't really understand why it will make peak oil demand happen quicker. I was wondering if you could talk about it because I might be misunderstanding what they mean. Thanks. Love the show. Keep up the good work. Your podcast has been the most informative thing I've found to learn.
0: Isn't it cool if firefighters are listen to it? Yeah, that's pretty neat. Yeah. Big shout out to our first responders out there. <laughs> Jeff, so a couple of things. Back in the 50s, this really smart guy at Shell named Herbert came up with this theory called peak oil supply. And he basically using the technology at the at that time figured out that we were gonna run out of hydrocarbons. And at some point, ability to produce hydrocarbons would peak and then start to decline. Well, he was wrong. Not it was his fault. He just didn't have the data we have now. You know, you've heard me say this a hundred times. Hydrocarbons are everywhere and they're still being made. So the sun will run out of hydrogen full will run out of hydrocarbons on this earth. So don't that's peak oil supply. Now what you're referencing is peak oil demand. Which is at some point, a lot of people, myself included, think that the amount of hydrocarbons we use as a world will hit its peak use. And then a lot of people say they'll start to decline. I'm, I'm a little bit different than that. I agree that we'll hit peak oil demand, so the most demand for the entire world. But I don't think it will decline. I think it will level off. So instead of a peak and then dropping back down, I think it will hit a peak and then it will level off because hydrocarbons are the most important molecule to mankind. Your heat resistant suit that you wear when you're on the jobs, made from hydrocarbons. The hoses that pull the water, made from hydrocarbons. The seals in your water pumps, hydrocarbons. I can go on and on. And so a lot of people right now are saying this whole COVID 19 thing will accelerate peak oil demand. I disagree. This is a blip on the radar. If we look at the need for hydrocarbons in the world we look at over say a 20-year slice of time this is just gonna be a little dip in that line as things start getting back to normal we'll see the acceleration of refined products of fuels and plastics and everything pick back up and we will get back on our road to where every year we use more and more hydrocarbons the thing about the peak oil demand is there's a lot of misunderstanding about what hydrocarbons do how important they are to the world economy into actually moving a lot of these smaller populations up to current western lifestyle. So I wouldn't worry about peak oil demand. It will happen. I think it's going to happen around 2150, 2200, something right around there. So it's a ways off. We'll all be dead. Yeah. Well, but even then when it hits, I don't think you'll see a decline in hydrocarbons. Like I said, I think it will start leveling off. So I wouldn't worry about it from an investment strategy, Jeff. I wouldn't worry about it. I would actually look at this opportunity to pick up stocks for pennies on the dollar. I've done a little bit of that. Also misjudged the market early on and picked up some shares for 10 cents on the dollar instead of pennies on the dollar. But uh, this is just a blip in the world of, of investing in the oil and gas world. So nothing to worry about, Jeff. But thanks for reaching out.
2: Yeah, so I'm going to let you read the next one because he writes in every month and he has given us guidance on how to pronounce his name. So I'm going to give
0: let you swing at it. So Ludwig Hoff, a big fan of the show. He writes in Actually, multiple times uh, every month, appreciations in the Netherlands or he's from the Netherlands. He has businesses all over the world and a lot of stuff in China. He was actually supposed to come to the U.S. You told him this is not a good time to come to the U.S. Well, yeah, that's when Trump closed the borders. and So he shot me a, a Facebook messenger the last couple of days saying, you know what? I think I cancel my plans to the U.S., which is smart. Just give it a while and come back. Anyway, here's his question. What is your idea about the Prelude situation? He's referencing the Shell Prelude, the LNG facility. Uh, the Royal Dutch Shell ship that is not working for months due to technical non-functions. To me, it sounds terrible, blowing billions in just one boat, and then it can't work due to technical reasons. Is something like the Prelude the future for offshore exploration? Sounds great to me. No pipes to built, no refinery, all in one boat. Okay, well, a really big boat. It's one of the biggest vessels ever built by humankind. No kidding. It's, it's four cities. It's four Crowley's. Out in the water. Or for Zachary's.
2: I'm going to say that's a town. That's not a city.
0: <laughs> Paige and I are from small towns in Louisiana. So that's an inside joke right there. So, So to answer your question, it is a fantastic idea because it's basically the complete value chain in one vessel. So... It's a Fling, which stands for Floating Liquefied Natural Gas Facility. The cool thing, or you'll see people call it, FLNG. The Prelude is the largest one in the world, built by Shell. A Technique FMC had a lot of, of work in that as well, as long as a lot of other EPCs. And what it does is it actually goes to the well offshore, the gas wells. It then downloads or or. Uploads how you want to look however you want to look at that from a riser, the natural gas stores it on the vessel, then on the vessel converts it to liquefied natural gas, so it cleans it up, chills it, compresses it. Then that vessel stores liquefied natural gas and that vessel unmoors and brings it to market. So no building pipelines, no worrying about building LNG facilities on shore and then having to ship that LNG in a separate vessel somewhere else in the world. This kind of does it all, and it's a great idea. It, it was a good idea for a long time. This is not a new idea. This idea has been around for close to 100 years. It just we did not have the technology proudness to build something like this. Now, back to that it's down. Yeah, it's down because they have some electrical problems, but they're making sure they're going back. Shell's make sure they go back and inspect everything. So they literally could turn this thing back on now, but they're saying, no, for the safety of our people and for the people that come closest, we want to inspect everything. That's why the, the downtime has been so long. And this is not really a future of offshore exploration. Offshore exploration involves a lot of seismic, a lot of studying the seafloor, a lot of spudding and then drilling test wells and look at production. That type of engineering doesn't lend itself to be in one vessel, but this is a really cool way to bring liquefied natural gas to parts of the world that you don't want to build all that infrastructure on land. In this case, the shell of prelude sitting off the coast of Australia.
2: Well, and and this is the time to, to be thorough, you know.
0: Well, this is time to be thorough and also at the same time, you know, you look at what's going on in the world right now. I guarantee you Shell's having trouble getting technicians out there. Yeah. And so the smart thing to do is what they're doing is wait. Wait till we get the right people. Wait till we get the right inspections. Let's make sure the third parties say everything is safe and then we'll light this thing back up. But if the audience, if you want to see something really cool, you need to see the construction, the videos on YouTube, the construction, this thing. This is unbelievable that man can build this sort of thing. And we pulled it off. It actually came in, I believe, at budget and under time when they first built this thing. Oh, so, wow. That's, yeah, hats that's off impressive. To, <laughs> that's world-class project managers. Hats off to Shelf. Pulling that thing off. Ludovic, don't worry about it being down. It's just the right thing for Shell to be doing during these crazy times in 2020. It'll come back. It'll start producing LNG probably in the next 30 or 45 days.
2: Unless the world ends. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying. All right. So, next question is from Jason Lee Hey, Mark and Page, longtime listener of the This Week in Tech podcast. Love them. We love to hear y'all discuss the layoffs that have broadly impacted our industry and now hitting across all the majors, with Exxon being the latest. I'm noticing that while people leaving oil and gas for big tech and consulting is nothing new, it seems to be much more common these days. I feel in five to ten years, this will also be looked back on upon as a double black swan for skilled people, leaving the industry and likely never coming back. In our industry, that's bound to create a shortage of people with the right mix of technical and domain expertise that can make profitable but also safe and environmentally responsible businesses decisions at operators and service companies. Any MBA can analyze financial returns on an investment, but without a good technical and industry foundation, the risk of a bad decision is going to increase. Hopefully we can come out of this better and stronger, but I think we're already at the point where some things will be felt a long, long time.
0: hundred uh, percent agree with you, Jason. It's actually start happened a couple of years ago before the crazy 2020. You know, traditionally in this industry, a lot of senior management you picked up exxon exxon just announced that they're doing a bunch of performance reviews to lay people off which is the right way to do it but you know typically at exxon you might have started at 17 or 18 years old at some well in west texas and you worked your way up you know to a worm for a roughneck to maybe your drilling supervisor then a driller and then maybe you were field engineer for one of the service companies for a while and then eventually you got into management and eventually exxon picked you up and now you're senior vp at exxon you got 35 years the thing that's different about that generation, which is my generation, is that even though we're running multi-billion dollar business units of some of the largest companies in the world, I still have a pair of steel toe boots in my closet. I still know what a torque wrench is, right? I grew up with that. And so I understand the business of Exxon. To your point, the MBA coming out of school who's super sharp, super smart, super motivated has never been on a field, You know, has never seen slips or chains. You know, doesn't know what a pipeline is or a choke or how you pack a valve. And so that knowledge loss, that tribal knowledge has been happening for the last few years, and I've been talking about it for a while. It's a major issue facing our industry. And then, Jason, you're right. As we accelerate, as the industry becomes faster and leaner and more high tech, a lot of the emphasis has been on the technology side. You know, things like machine learning, artificial intelligence. I mean, you look at most of our sponsors, they're hip deep in in a lot of that sort of stuff. But... You can't train the machine unless you've done the work yourself. And so that's the big gap that's there. And then once again, to your point, a lot of the big tech companies are coming in. They have their technology domain expertise, but they don't understand oil and gas. So they're hiring people with oil and gas domain expertise, which is really cool as an employee, because if you're an oil and gas project manager and you're out of work and you're looking for work in the oil and gas industry, well, there's you and 500,000 other people with your qualifications and experience, right? That's, That's the truth. But you go to one of the big tech companies, you're the only one there with oil and gas project management experience. So something that is common in in the oil and gas industry is rare on the tech side, which is good for you in your career. But Jason, I've been saying this for a while and 100% agree with you. We're facing a talent shortage of epic proportions that really nobody's talking about because of everything else that's going on between the COVID, you know, all the civil unrest, you know, the reemergence of the virus, the double black swan event earlier in the year, the low crew price, the low demand for refined products. Nobody's really thinking about this, this talent shortage, and it's coming at us like a freight train. We can't get out of the way. There's no secret island of talent. There's no place that Chevron can go hire people that nobody else knows about. So what I think that's going to do, unfortunately, I think you can see safety metrics start to slip a little bit because of that. Unfortunately, I think you can see project due dates and deliverables start to slip. I think you can see a lot of young people with good intent come into our industry who go work their butt off, but they're going to make mistakes because they don't have the experience. And what I hope is that that learning curve happens quickly so we can get back to being a safe, environmentally responsible industry that we've always been. But yeah, Jason, I agree with you. It's coming at us. We can't get out of the way, and we're going to have to deal with it. And the companies that see this and recognize this and that account for it in their business planning are going to pull way ahead of the companies that aren't thinking about this right now.
2: Yeah. I mean, you'd think they'd be a little more prepared since the last downturn, but this, I mean, this came out of nowhere.
0: It came out of nowhere, and we never really co- recovered from the last downturn. So yep. You know, people that were spared the last downturn that got hit with the layoff this downturn, they're not coming back, right? The people that are my age are taking retirement packages. They're not coming back either. The young people in the world don't want to come work in our industry because they think we're destroying our planet. They'd much rather go work for Google, right? Or Amazon or, or somebody else. So it's it's coming. And, and, and you talk to the leaders in this industry, the people that really think 10 years at a time out there, we all know it's coming. I've had too many discussions around this, but is there a solution? I don't see one. Are we gonna have to get through it. Somehow, we will.
2: Yeah, we have to. So the next question is from Patrick Ebert, which is a director with Royal Dutch Shell. Your virtual podcast summit a few weeks ago was incredible. So much learning, camaraderie, new ways of thinking, and it was fascinating to hear why your sponsors chose to work with you. Job well done, guys. Here's my question. Is this type of online live gathering going to replace the conferences and expos that we as an industry, have used to long for? And if so, what are the gotchas that large oil and gas companies need to look out for?
0: Good question, Patrick. So do I think that online events are going to replace conferences and expos when things get back to normal 100%? No. Do I think they're going to replace a lot of them? Yeah. Before all this stuff happened, really a lot of the conferences and expos were waning out anyway. And there's a reason for it, Patrick. So back when I got in this industry in the 80s, conferences were super valuable because there was no internet so if i want to go learn about all the different well control techniques that were going on in the world new processes new tools new technology the only way for me to learn efficiently was to go to a well control conference that way all the vendors were there all the experts were there all the presenters were there and i could spend two or three days and absorb all this quality information around well control well with the internet you don't need to do that anymore and so if you look at big conferences like otc You know, when I first got started, all the super majors were there, all the majors, all the major independents, all the big service companies. But they were there for that exact reason. I mean, I remember Chevron walking in with POs in their hand because they knew they were going to discover new technology, new process, and they wanted to buy it there. So there was a marketplace at OTC. Now there's no marketplace anymore. Once again, the super majors don't need to go to do business, right? They can do everything online or they can learn about things online. And if you look at the big conferences, the quality – of the attendance has changed. It used to be business leaders were the ones walking the floor now it's sales and marketing people. And as a, please no hate me, I was a reformed salesperson myself. I like being around sales and marketing people. So that trend had already started, Patrick. What's happening now is just going to accelerate it. And the interesting thing is, it's funny. So I've watched a lot of companies try to replicate the in-person conference experience online. And I think that's the wrong way to do it. And it's not the way that we're trying to do it. You know, part of, of the conference is that the story itself unfolds in front of you. So you're walking through a conference, you talk to a vendor, you go sit in a presentation, you're creating the story that you want. You're learning what you want to do. You can't do that online. So, I think the companies that are trying to replicate the online conferences online are going about it the wrong way. Thank you for the kudos on our virtual podcast summit. If you noticed, we didn't try to replicate that. We had very interesting sessions. We moved very fast. We basically told a story about the value of podcasting in the oil and gas industry from the very beginning to the very end, to the end of the vendors, right? So, I think the companies that are able to pivot and tell their business stories in a different way online will absolutely take market share from real in-person conferences. At the same time, the very big mega oil and gas conferences, I think, are are nowhere near as valuable. And what's happened this year is going to increase companies understanding that. But I think the in-person live niche conferences are super valuable. So if you had a niche conference around machine learning in downstream in oil and gas, I think that's super, super niche and be super valuable in person. But it's going to be a small conference, and then what are the gotchas that large oil and gas companies need to look out for? Number one, and please don't take this the wrong way, probably your own internal marketing team. Your own internal marketing team has grown up doing live events. It's a big part of what they do. They have not necessarily seen the fact that those live events have been devalued over the last ten years. And so by nature, they're going to want to continue to do what they do, but do it virtually. And like I said, I think that's a mistake. I think you, t- you need to totally rethink how you tell your company's story and the processes that you use to do it online. I think the way you do it online is radically different than the way you do it in person. You know, nobody wants to go online and try to navigate to a virtual booth. And I've seen a whole bunch of that. That's just not valuable. I think you're better off having whoever you'd have in that virtual booth be part of your storyline that's that's online. So I think a couple of gotchas you have to look out for is your own internal marketing people trying to represent. Replicate what they've always done because they're comfortable with it. The other thing is there's a lot of technology that's involved to do this thing right. And quite honestly, a lot of the tech that's out there because we, we've we explored a whole bunch of it to do these online conferences aren't really fully baked. And so your user experience is everything. You know, everybody is sick of Zoom calls by now. And so if you could do an online conference, it needs to be super valuable, super quick, super educational. And you don't want tech issues for our conference. Nobody knows this, knows this <laughs> but a minute and 37 seconds before we went to go live, we got the notice that we had too many people. So we had over 4,000 people waiting to get in the door and the, literally the technology broke because of the load. And so I was very proud of my team. Nobody freaked out. Uh, immediately had people get on the phone, upgrade the type of uh, technology we were using immediately. Other people got online and started asking people to drop off, and we pulled it off. And if you go back and look at the video that's now sitting on OGG and YouTube, you can tell that in the first minute or two, we were hunting for the right solution while we were alive. And then we settled into a routine. A big shout out to Warren. He really did pull it off you see him emceeing that whole event. What nobody knows is 37 different people were texting him the entire time. I was one of them. Yeah. And I was too. So once again, even that process isn't the type of process that a a big super major would follow. You know, They want all that command and control. You want to hand everything over to marketing. And it's almost like instead of trying to do an online conference the old way, I mean, instead of trying to your marketing team trying to do an online conference the way they did in person conferences, it's almost like your marketing team needs to learn how to be a run and gun TV producer. You know, think about the the camera crews that show up at some war zone or some accident and there's a producer calling a shot camera one do this camera two do this person one your turn person two that turn that type of nimbless is what's need to pull off i think a good online event not the old command and control and everything's laid out six months ahead of time and you follow this rigorous process so hopefully patrick that helps if you want some more help give us another month we could try it again another live stream and let's see if we, if we pull that one off better
2: <laughs> all right so next question's from donna fulbright she's a technical writer at SlumberJ. Paige, you make a great addition to the show. Thank you. Plus, girl, you know how to pick a, out the best professional, professional lipstick colors. Now, that's a valuable skill set.
0: <laughs> well, I'll give you as much. Page, you're way better at I am. Oh, well, the, I I would hope you would so.
2: Hope so. <laughs> Here is my question: What is the difference between the Department of the Interior, the Bureau of Land Management, and the Office of Natural Resources? What do they each do that's different than the other? Love the show, guys. Well, so the Department of the Interior is obviously federal. So Bureau of Land Management actually sits under there along with Bessie and BOEM. But BLM is actually land-based and Bessie and BOEM are offshore. Office of Natural Resources, that varies actually per state. Now, if you're talking about the Office of Natural Resources revenue, that's under the Department of the Interior as well.
0: Which I bet it's what she's talking about. So what is the Department of Natural Resources, what do you say, revenue? Revenue, what yeah. What do they do?
2: They collect money.
0: All right, so everything's under Department of Interior, and then it's basically subdivided between managing stuff on land and managing stuff on water in yeah. the U.S. Right. And then you have another group that just man- manages money.
2: Right, but that's also under the DOI as well. Okay. But each state has its own, for the most part, has their own Office of Natural Resources, which deals with if you're on the coast, state waters, or onshore
0: activity. Yeah, so, because I'm learning here too, so basically you have parts of the federal government that oversee the oil and gas industry at a high level, and then you go to the state's level, and the states may have different criteria than the federal, or maybe even the same, but it's still a a separate set of criteria. Right. Okay, which means you just have a lot of people you have to answer to.
2: Just a a lot of different
0: jurisdictions. I don't know how you did that.
2: (laughs) (laughs) A lot of spreadsheets. A lot of spreadsheets.
0: Uh, All right. Let's go to the next one.
2: All right. Next one's from Bob Lehman, which is the vice president at SunPower. I see a lot of talk about how all the wild events in 2020 will be the final nail in the coffin for oil and gas, and it's accelerating the adaption of renewables. I would love to know your thoughts around this. I'm not in the oil and gas industry, but I am a loyal listener and look forward to this show each week. You guys rock.
0: Hey, Bob, I'll tell you a secret. You know who owns a big part of SunPower? Total. So you're kind of in the oil and gas industry that you don't know. All all Francais. So so SunPower is a manufacturer of of basically solar cells, if I remember correctly. Total invested them years ago before all this stuff started happening very good question bob i 've heard the same thing. Let me tell you what 's really going on here and here and I love renewables. One of our new shows is going be about renewables so you know i 've always said that our mix in humankind has changed and it always will change and there 's a place for every type of energy. I think I see us all together as one group i don 't see us as competing. I hate the fact that some people try to make us compete because we 're not we 're all just energy. but let me tell you what 's one of the things that 's threatening actually renewables here and in Europe. So, this low crude and gas price actually hurts the adoption of renewables. It's expensive to build a windmill or solar farm. And when you're looking at providing electricity for your state or your country or your province or whatever, and the price of natural gas is so cheap, and the price to build a natural gas generation plant is so cheap why would you move to renewables where the upfront cost is significantly more and i realize that after 10 years the costs level out but these low hydrocarbon prices are going to hurt the financial viability of renewables at scale and that's going to happen for as long especially natural gas as long as natural gas stays low it's hurting renewables the other thing is most renewable projects here in the us and also in europe have some type of subsidy to get them off the ground either the federal government or the local state governments or a combination of the boat well that's money that comes out of their budgets. Well, right now, the federal government and the state governments are hurting budget-wise. This year's not so bad because they're spending money they made last year. But wait till 2021, right? Look at all the tax money that nobody's getting because nobody's shopping, nobody's flying, nobody's buying cars or surfboards or volleyballs, right? So 2021, the budgets for all the governments will be hurting. And so the renewables would get less of a piece of that because of that. So when I'm looking at the re- renewable marketplace here in Europe, not globally, but here in Europe, Y'all are really in a bad place, just like we are right now, for for slightly different reasons. But, you know, it's going to be hard to get people to show the value of building wind farms when it's half the price to make electricity from natural gas. So it's not the final nail in the coffin. There is no final nail in the coffin for hydrocarbons. You've heard me say this 100 times. It's the most valuable molecule to mankind. It's just things will change as we move through time. It will be interesting to watch. The price of solar especially has gotten so cheap that a lot of these emerging economies, think of China or India or Vietnam or whatever, it's actually cheaper for them to build individual solar battery combination. So think if I'm living in a village in China, it's actually cheaper for me to put up a handful of solar cells, a couple of lead-acid batteries, and now I have enough power for my family and my family next door, and the next door and next door. I have enough power for four families, because all I really need is enough to recharge a cell phone, run a small refrigerator each house, and a light bulb or two. And so if you think about that, it's, it's gotten away from the distributed model that's taken over most of the world, where you have centralized power generation plants, you have centralized distribution, think power lines, and then centralized as retail. If each little housing group or each little village has its own solar program, there's no reason for a distribution. You don't need to re- build power lines. You'll never need to build power generation. And so it's going to be interesting. I think that's one of the challenges that we're seeing moving forward is as these emergent economies come out of their agrarian lifestyles, are they okay with the low cost of a small solar installation to give them basic electricity needs? Or are they going to want what we have? Are they going to want 3,500 square foot houses with air conditioned heating, and hot and cold running water, and two freezers, and two refrigerators, and seven TVs? Because if they want that, they're going to have to build that distribution model because at that point, when you're burning 10 or 15 kilowatts a day of electricity, it's not economical to have a small solar installation. And speaking of small solar installations, I'm actually starting to investigate putting solar at my house, my personal house. I, w- I want to experiment with it. So if, if anybody out there has some feedback or some advice about solar for residential, let me know. Because I, I do want to actually see how that works and see how it affects my cost of living here in Houston. But yeah, Bob, it's, it's not the nail in the coffin of oil and gas and the renewable part of our energy industry is also hurting too because this double black swan COVID nineteen stuff. But as we go forward in time, we always need energy. It's it's safe, reliable, abundant energy is what allows us to educate everybody, our kids, which allows us to have stable food supply and, and knock on wood, maybe stable geopolitics. So we're moving ahead, just like renewable. So we're we're kind of hand in hand getting through all this mess. So but I appreciate you reaching out.
2: All right. So the next one's from Marcy Davis. IT Forensics Investigator, ooh, that sounds interesting, at uh, Chevron. I know our industry is going through massive layoffs right now, and we never really recovered from the last downturn in 2014, which you just addressed. It's demoralizing and at the same time scary. Are there any bright spots that you can share or positive news? OGGN has been a beacon of hope for a whole bunch of us. Please keep on producing this amazing content.
0: Damn it, Morrison, you made my eyes sweat for that. I've never we never even called a beacon of hope before. So first thing, you're right, Page. IT forensic investigator sounds like something some TV show you and I would watch. Doesn't yeah, it? <laughs> yeah, for <laughs> like, sure. <laughs> record and watch. I'm not quite sure what that is. I got a feeling that she's researching bad guys on the IT infrastructure. Anyway, so Marsha, to answer your question, yeah, there's a lot of bright spots. Your own company, as bad as everything is, I went and checked before we got on the microphones, you're looking for 397 positions. Chevron is here in Houston. You're looking for over 11,000 globally. So yes, the job market isn't good. Yes, companies are laying people off, but they're still hiring. And I went and checked out all the super majors. All of them have huge hiring programs. They're all looking for stuff. Now, it's interesting. They're looking for extremely niche. Talent. So, if you're in the industry and you've been laid off, or you're worried that you could be laid off, one of the things I would do is I would hit all the job boards for the, for the super majors. Right, there's five of them: Chevron's one of them, Exxon, Total, BP, and Shell, and see if you see something in common. Go through job boards, and if everybody's looking for Java editors, or if everybody's looking for. Uh, tungsten welders, or, or you know something specialized. Go see what it takes to pick up that skill set, because if they're all looking for, it, the odds are it's it's in high demand. There's not enough talent out there for that. So even in this downturn event, they're still hiring. As far as other bright spots, Marcy, there's parts and pieces of our industry that are actually booming through all this bad time. I feel guilty. Our business is booming through all this, right? So we just write. I just write more charity checks to try to make things better. But 3M, you know, you, when you think of 3M, you think of Scotch tape and you know, post-it notes and everything else, but their business is booming. A lot of the technology companies, their business is booming. I know a half a dozen or so companies that are now bottling hand sanitizer and using logistics and oil and gas to get the hand sanitizer.
2: Yeah. And you go back to 3M, they make masks.
0: Yeah. And so the logistics part of the oil and gas industry is booming right now. So there is a bunch of bright spots and looking toward the future. I mean, I know 2021 seems like it's a long way away, but I'm telling you, we get to the first quarter of twenty twenty one, we're back to sixty, sixty five dollars a barrel. Things will have gotten much more efficient in our industry. We've and things will be much better. That's that's when we start climbing the, the mountain up. So but Marcy, thank you. And 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 literally the a beacon of hope thing really did touch me. So I appreciate it.
2: All right. The next question is from Todd Lacombe, facility specialist at Halliburton. With everything that has happened this year, do you think when things get back to normal that oil and gas companies will allow for more people to work from home? And if so, why? Big fan of the show for years. Big shout out to my fellow ginger.
0: High five, Todd. High five. Yeah, well, it's obvious why Todd's asking this question because his his livelihood depends on Halliburton having facilities. Right? <laughs> you know, Todd, it's an interesting thing. I've I'm looking at this from the outside in and I also have a lot of inside track, right? I have a, a lot of good friends and business acquaintances that are senior people in this industry. And it has moved the needle a lot. I, I literally have had probably 40 or 50 senior people in this industry tell me you know what i never really got that work from home thing I always thought it was a perk to keep my employees happy and darn it mark they're working more now right why am i paying for all this office space so todd i do 100 percent believe that the oil and gas industry here in the u.s is absolutely going to downsize as far as facilities at the same time there's certain things that we have to do in person you know right now you're seeing some like fat testing being done remotely that's a stop gap if if, if I'm getting ready to buy a blowout preventer and I want to make sure it's tested before I sit on the bottom of the ocean floor. I want my people there and I want a third party there to inspect that blowout preventer. We're going to go back to that when things get back to normal. The third party remote inspections are something just to get keep things moving right now, that's not going to stick. But a lot of the people that normally would work in town or in the office, however you want to call it, A lot of them can work from home. And for the companies that let that happen, it reduces their cost, which is what we need to do. It reduces their overhead. And then another thing that nobody's thinking of is it improves employee satisfaction. You know, people like getting their work done. And if they can do it without spending an hour or two a day wasted commuting, right, it makes their lives much easier, which helps with retention. So if I was a facility specialist at a big service company – I would probably think about picking up a couple extra job skills and and don't take it the wrong way, but, you know, think about niche stuff. So as a facility specialist, you know, how do you actually build the best, access for high-performance computing, right? There's something that there's no facility specialist thinking about, and yet if you become an expert at that, or non-destructive testing, how do you find the right facility to make sure you can do non-destructive testing? Do you need a high bay? Do you need a low bay? Do you need you know 10,000 PSI concrete because you're bringing in 400 tons worth of equipment a day? So if you can just do a little research, Todd, and figure out how to make yourself the best facilities person as far as niched stuff that you know has to be done in person, I, I think you're fine. You may even be creating a new job category. But yeah, I have no doubt that when things get back to normal, oil and gas companies are shrink how much they have their people actually show up to an office somewhere.
2: All right. I think that's it, Mark.
0: It's not quite it because we still have the giveaway. And did you notice? We talked about this the last time. Did you notice? I don't know if you've seen it yet, but we had... Two people on Twitter, actually, after we talk about Matt Sands wearing the this IBM shirt, yeah. they sent pictures of him. Like, they want It's like, well, you should have showed up on the, the podcast summit. But, <laughs> but, yeah, if you want one of these really cool shirts that seem to be starting to turn to a cult item, it's really easy. Go to the show notes, click on the link, and we give away one a week. We spent some money on these things, and that unique serial number that's on the front is super important. More to come around that. And then we actually, page. I pulled the trigger. So it's been a couple of months since we were delivering them because we wanted to clear the infrastructure for things that were critical. I went ahead and pulled the trigger. We're starting delivering them the first week in July. So if you've won and you haven't got your shirt yet, it will be shipped out the first week of July. And it may take a little a week or so to get to you. Oh, wig count, Paige. What is it? Wig count or rig count? Rig count. <laughs> Wastly well, wabbit.
2: I was going to say wig zero. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so it's two ninety, which is one percent down from last week.
0: Yeah, I'm hoping that drop con- is slow and that percentage I think
2: it's looks- it's been it's been shrinking just yeah. little by little, so
0: and speaking of not shrinking by little by little Go join our street team It's our volunteer group We ask you to help us with our social media We ask you for an hour's worth of work a week But honestly If something gets in the way Like COVID-19 Or your significant other Or work we're Children fine with that. Children, whatever we're, we're fine with that We understand life gets in the way And basically you're just helping us with our social media When things get back to normal If we're in your neck of the woods And we do a conference or expo You'll be you'll get to join us part Or of even our a, happy
2: hour, or that a happy hour Or a happy hour We
0: get in free If you're part of our street team So go join It's an easy thing to do It's kind of fun and then we're working on getting the monthly events email back up and out. I'm hoping to do that by August 1st. So we'll get we'll start working on July, which is right around the corner. We put all the oil and gas events in one place in your inbox once a month for free. So go sign up for that as well. And then travel is still locked down, but if you want myself or any of our gang to come speak at your event even virtually i've done several virtual events i'm actually got one i think coming up next week Uh, let us know We're happy to share the details and then this is the first friday q a if you notice nobody tried to stump us which is the goal the goal, the thing is ask questions to help educate our audience. So if you want to have a big shout out, go to the week.com, click ask a question. If we use your question on there, you will get a big shout out. And while you're out there, go ahead and give us your email address on the website. It's how we let you know about the cool stuff coming up. And then join our LinkedIn page. We're over 40,000 people on our LinkedIn page. That's where also where we live stream stuff. So if you join and we live stream, you'll be notified. So you don't have to worry about keeping up. So with
2: basically it. follow us. But if you want to join, we also have a LinkedIn group, which we have plenty of people in and everybody. Contributes and it's non salesy, and you have to get approved
0: by me. Yeah. And I'm just now figuring out the difference between those two. But yeah, so the LinkedIn group, if you want to join, but yeah, it's really good content out there and it's nice. So, Paige, you administer that? Yep. Yeah. So there's no spam. Paige does let any spam happen. There's no self promoting. It's all good. I mean, I may have to go back and clean some stuff up, but it always gets cleaned up. <laughs> yeah. Anything else we need to talk about?
2: I think that covers it for this right. week.
0: So everybody that's listened, stay tuned. We have another live stream event we're going to do in July. I know what it is, but I can't say yet. But I'm telling you, go go follow either us on uh, Facebook or follow us on Twitter or follow us on LinkedIn so that when that live stream starts, you get notified because it's always cool stuff. All right, folks, remember, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time.
1: And here are our events on deck. Hey, everybody, Alex here with the events on deck. So due to current circumstances, of course, we are not able to have any in-person events. So I have nothing of that nature to update you guys on. But we have been hosting some virtual events. So OGGN is wanting to offer free webinars, live happy hours, etc. during this time. Since these events are not scheduled out as far in advance as in-person events we would like to keep you guys updated via Facebook LinkedIn and Twitter so be sure to keep checking up on that and we'll keep you guys posted on anything we're offering it has been free we want to offer you guys value during this time that we're all at home so please continue checking in and joining us for these virtual events we are looking forward to seeing you guys whenever we're able to have in-person events and hope you're staying safe and sound
0: Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil & Gas This Week Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.